0: he had the ability to write in such a way that his conclusions transitioned into introductions. And that's what we have with verse 1. Let me read the verse. Paul says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see my joy and crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord my beloved. Now whether this belongs with chapter 3 or chapter 4, The message doesn't change. What Paul is saying is that because it is a joy to have other believers in our life, we need to do everything we can to keep them there. Because it is a joy to have other believers in our life, we need to do everything we can to keep them there. In the uh, early years of our nation's history, and I know you've read about this, our government gave away large sections of land to encourage people living in the east to move west and and settle what was now the United States. It was part of what we call our our manifest destiny. And so what you had is you had thousands of people who lived in the crowded cities in the east moving west to claim their share of what we could call the, uh, the American dream. But there was a condition for them receiving these large sections of land. For them to own the land... They had to live on the land. They had to live on the land X amount of years. And so what they do is, is they they'd live on the land. But what many of them did, especially on the prairie, is they built their home right in the middle of their land, built it out of sod. And the reason why they, they selected the middle of their land is because they had never owned land before. And they wanted the feeling that when they came out of their house, everything they saw belonged to them. Okay? They wanted that feeling. But it wasn't long before their their self imposed isolation took a very harmful effect on them. What happened is is uh, newspapers, photographers living in the east traveled west to document what life was like on the western frontier, and they took pictures, and they brought those pictures back, and the pictures were disturbing, because in the pictures of families, the pictures were of uh, weird looking men, wild-eyed women, haunted-looking children. And I can promise you, if you go up to the museum in Cody, the Buffalo Bill Museum, you will see those pictures, all right? And and it just simply is because of the effect that isolation had on these people. And so what happened is, is in order for not only their survival but their own personal happiness, what these people did is they moved their homes from the middle of their property to the corner of their property so that they could live in proximity with their neighbor. And sometimes all four families would congregate at the same corner. And that was the start of what we would call small towns. And, and I think you can, uh, can make the connection. As believers... We cannot live in isolation. Uh, fellowship with one another, it isn't an option. It's essential. When I was a pastor, I, uh, I had several people talk to me about friends of theirs, and they would describe them to me as wonderful, wonderful Christians, but they just never go to church. They'd say, they're wonderful people, but they just, they just don't go to church. And when the time was appropriate, I would let them know, I am sure they are wonderful, wonderful people. But if they never go to church, there's going to come a time when they're not wonderful, wonderful people. Because you and I as believers, we need the fellowship of one another. But the fact is, even though that is an essential requirement in our life for our mental, spiritual health, sometimes that fellowship with other believers can create problems. And that's what happened in the church in Philippi. There were, uh, there were two women who could not get along. And their failure to get along was creating problems within the entire church. And so what Paul does in chapter 4, the beginning of it, is he addresses the lack of harmony between these two women. He addresses the problem between these two women, and then he talks about, or or he gives answers to a couple of questions. And the two questions are these. The first question is, who's responsible for harmony in a church? And number two, how do we restore harmony once that harmony has been broken? Well, look with me at verse two. Here's the problem. He says, I urge Yodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. The two women who could not get along in the church in Philippi were named Yodia and Syntyche. I grew up in a church, okay? My father was my pastor. And uh, extracurricular activities always seem to surround or center around other church-related activities. So I heard a lot of sermons. And uh, I would often hear people when they talk about uh, Philippians chapter 4, Yodia and Syntyche. And my father was one of them. He'd uh, point out that the name Yodias sounds like Iodias sounds like odious and Syntyche sounds like soon touchy, And, and they'd, they'd uh, make funny statements at the expense of these two women. But I want you to know that's not fair, nor is it accurate. And the reason why is because the name Yodia actually means prosperous journey and Syntyche means pleasant acquaintance. And when you think about the culture in which those people lived, where your names carried so much significance, uh, these were actually two wonderful women with two wonderful personalities. They were pleasant. They were enjoyable. They were the kind of people you and I would want to have in our life as a best friend. Uh, It's been suggested that Yodi and Syntyche were the wives of two elders within the church, We don't know, that's just a suggestion. Uh, Some have suggested that Yodi and Syntyche were two prominent single women within the church. We don't know. Uh, What we do know from verse 3 is that they had been in the church, the body of believers in Philippi, from the beginning. Because Paul says they had labored with him and a man named Clement in planting the church in Philippi. They had worked hard for Paul and they had worked well with one another. But for some unnamed reason, uh, they could no longer work with one another. They could no longer get along. And uh, that was a problem. I think it's instructive that Paul does not speak about the episode that led to their falling out. And I think that's instructive. Because what that lets us know is that at a certain point in a broken relationship, it doesn't matter who's at fault. It doesn't matter who did this or who said what. All that matters is there's a lack of harmony. And I think there's a great lesson for every marriage. At a certain time, when there's tension about something, it really doesn't matter who's at fault. All that matters is there's a lack of fellowship and something needs to be done. Now, if you look at verse 2 again, some translations have the word agree instead of harmony. I know the King James has the word same mind, but the idea is harmony. Harmony does not require that we agree, but it does require that we get along. And if you look at verse 2 again, the foundation for our getting along is in the Lord. Here's the fact. There are some ideas that conflict, okay? To try and mix certain ideas and say, yeah, we're going to find a... we're going to blend these two ideas together and then we're going to go forward. No, it just doesn't work, okay? It's got to be one idea or the other. Some ideas conflict. Some personalities clash. But the fact is, in the Lord there's always a foundation, a basis for harmony. Now, I said that Paul addresses the question, who's responsible for harmony? And he does. And I think, obviously, what we can learn from verse 2 is that in terms of responsibility for harmony in a church, it, first of all, is an individual responsibility. Uh, Yodi and Syntyche were responsible because they are the ones who were named. And if, therefore, we, right now, find ourselves in a relationship with another believer and that relationship has been broken, it is our responsibility to restore it. My observation is the bigger, the better, the more mature believer will pick up the phone, write the email, arrange the meeting in which two people who are in conflict with one another can get together and somehow... Restore harmony. Uh, Who's responsible for harmony? Every one of us. Okay, it's an individual responsibility. But then I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. Not only is uh, uh, harmony an individual responsibility, it's a shared responsibility. Look at verse 3. He says, Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. The word's true companion uh, is the word comrade in some translations. I don't like that word, comrade. Sounds too Russian, okay? I've heard enough about the Russians, all right, myself. Well, anyway, uh, some have suggested that The word ought not to be translated, but transliterated. What that means, translated means you're finding the meaning of a word. Transliterated simply means you're pronouncing the word. And if we say the word is supposed to be transliterated, that would mean that Paul is mentioning an individual's proper name, and the name is Sesge. But uh, we don't know. Something else is that... uh, The word's true companion, it's in the feminine gender, which suggests that it's a woman. One commentary suggested that it's Paul's wife. I think that is an enormous stretch that we don't take. Uh, Even though the word is feminine, I believe, I believe, it is a reference, an affectionate reference to a man named Epaphroditus, who Paul talked about in chapter 2. And if you've ever read the book of Philippians, and I I know you have, In chapter 2, Paul mentions a man named Epaphroditus. And from chapter 2, we learn that Epaphroditus was an elder in the church in Philippi. And when the church in Philippi took an offering to help Paul out in the ministry, Epaphroditus was the one who took the money from Philippi to Rome. And the plan was that while Epaphroditus was in Rome, he would help Paul in the ministry. But Epaphroditus got sick. His ministry was done, and Paul was sending Epaphroditus back to Rome, and as he went back to Rome, he was carrying this letter that appears in our Bible, and when Epaphroditus got there, he would reacquaint himself with these two women. He knew Yodi and Syntyche, and they knew him, but what they also knew about Epaphroditus is something Paul points out in chapter 2, and that Epaphroditus had a heart for people. He not only had the leadership capital to deal with the problem between these two women, but he also had the personality to help them. It is a fact of life that there are some personalities that really aren't helpful in assisting people to restore harmony. But then there are other personalities that it's just as if God has gifted them to do it. Uh, All of which means, although harmony is our individual responsibility. It's also a shared responsibility. Uh, Sometimes, in a marriage, in a friendship, in an arrangement, what is required is the help of a third person. There is no defeat or failure in recognizing that and asking for help. I think where the failure takes place is when we're too proud too stubborn or we're too late in asking for someone to help us. Based on what Paul says, harmony is an individual responsibility. It's a shared responsibility. But when you think about everything Paul says here, it is everyone's responsibility. When two people in a church cannot get along, everyone in the church knows it. Everyone in the church knows the tension. Everyone suffers. Can you imagine how Yodi and Syntyche must have felt when Epaphroditus returned back to Philippi and the church gathered to hear his report on his time with Paul? And, And it may have been on a Sunday morning. And all the church gathered, everyone, because they wanted to hear from Epaphroditus about his time with Paul. And not only did Epaphroditus have a report, he had a letter. And he gets up and reads the letter. And then he gets to that verse we read in verse one, where Paul through Epaphroditus says, "I urge Yodia and Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord." Now, if you were Yodia and Syntyche, how would you feel? Would you continue to listen, or would you get up and leave? I think that Paul addresses this publicly, without apology lets us know that harmony in a church is everyone's responsibility. And I believe the longer a lack of harmony is allowed, the greater damage it can do to a church. And I think all of us know of too many churches that have divided and split because of a simple disagreement that started just between two people. And that's a shame. And so what God is telling us through his word is that when it comes to the wonderful harmony that you enjoy in this church, it is everyone, and I'm going to include myself, our responsibility to maintain it. But uh, that leads to a second question that Paul addresses, and that is, how do we restore harmony once the harmony has been broken? Well, I want you to look at uh, the space... Between verse 3 and verse 4. In almost all of our English Bibles, there is a paragraph break between verse 3 and verse 4. And different translations or Bibles indicate the paragraph break. Uh, Some will have an indentation on the verse that follows. Some will have additional space between the two verses. And then some will have the letter of the verse in bold print. And the New American Standard that I'm using uh, has that. And it suggests that between verse 3 and verse 4, there is a paragraph break. And from what we know, know, from what we learned growing up, is that a paragraph is a collection of words and sentences that speak to one thought. And what the editors of most of our Bibles are telling us is that there is a change in thought between verse 2 and 3 and verses 4 and following. There's a change in subject matter. But you know what? In what we call the UBS Greek text, UBS means United Bible Society, it's the Greek text from which we get our New Testament, there is no paragraph break. There's There's no change in subject. The same subject of verses 2 and 3 carries on to verses 4 and following. And I want to just suggest to you that whereas verses 2 and 3 tell us who's responsible for harmony, verse 4 down through verse 9 tells us how we restore harmony once the harmony is broken. And the first thing Paul says we need to do is we need to focus on Jesus and rejoice. Look at what he says, verse 4. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, Rejoice. Sometimes the pressures of life make it impossible, at least difficult, to be happy. Okay? It's impossible to be happy. Uh, But we're not asked to be happy. We're asked to be joyful. And joy is found in the Lord. There are some things that happen to us in life about which none of us can be happy. If you're happy because a disability entered your life, that's not a healthy. That's not healthy. If you're happy because you just lost your source of income because of this crazy coronavirus, uh, and you're not happy about it, if, if you're happy about that, uh, that, that's not a normal response, okay? There are some things in life about which none of us can be happy. But in the Lord... There's always something to not just be happy about, but to rejoice about. It all has to do with what we choose to think about. Uh, I retired as a pastor after 40 years of being a pastor, 33 in the same church. And I will let you know that for the last five years, I was the pastor of the church in Sandy. There was one thing that happened every Sunday that was the highlight of my week. It was the highlight. After I would speak, I'd walk to the back and greet the people as they were leaving. And the highlight was not people walking through uh, past me, telling me what a wonderful pastor I was and what an inspiring sermon I gave. Uh, Now, uh, when you're in a church a long time, you don't hear that as often as you used to. Let me encourage you. Jim and I, have our our ministries have paralleled. Uh, You know Jim's a great pastor. You know he's a gifted, great communicator. And he still needs to hear that. He still needs to hear the encouragement. But you know what? Even though, even if I heard that, that was still not the highlight of my week. The highlight of my week were my grandkids would tug on my clothes asking for permission to go in my office and get a Jolly Rancher. A Jolly Rancher is uh, hard candy. And in my office, I had this big jar of Jolly Ranchers. And it was for all the kids in the church. But there was one condition... They had to first of all ask for permission. That's all I wanted. And uh, a lot of them asked, "Can I have a Jolly Rancher before Sunday school?" No. "Can I have a Jolly Rancher before church?" No. You know, they don't need all that sugar. But after the service was over, get all you want. Well, anyway, uh, I'd I'd say, sure, kids. You know, to my grandkids, you you can get some Jolly Ranchers. And uh, the arrangement was that if my grandkids had permission, then every kid in the church had permission. And sometimes I'd, uh, I'd go in my office and there might be a dozen, sometimes 50 kids in there, 15 kids in there, enjoying a Jolly Rancher. And you know what, if that was the highlight of their time in church, I was good with that. I was okay with that. But you know, when I think about my grandkids uh, wanting a Jolly Rancher, that puts a smile on my face. It's because I choose to think about that. And the whole idea is, is there are things in life about which none of us can be happy. But there are things in the Lord for which we can always be happy. It all comes down to what we choose to think about. So, one of the things we can do to restore harmony is to rejoice in the Lord. Not dwell on what's making us angry. So that's one thing. And then the second thing, verse 5, is we need to be gentle with one another. Let me read it. He says, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The word gentle in some of your Bibles is translated moderation. Uh, Others, it's forbearing. What that means is we put up with one another. Uh, It suggests a non-retaliatory spirit. It means we don't always have to be right. We don't always have to get our way. But we have to be gentle. My wife is not here because she's in Florida visiting her sister. I hope if I'm able to come another time, she's able to come with me. Uh, but anyway, we've been married for 45 years. And it seems like we argue about the same stuff we <laughs> argued over 45 years ago. You'd think we'd grow up, Okay. But that's not the issue. The issue, when it gets right down to it, is one of us will think this is important and the other does not. And because of the distance between one person saying this is important and the other person doesn't, we'll argue about that. And there'll be an overreaction, okay? I remember the first year we were married. We were living in Dallas, Texas. And I remember we were eating dinner in our tiny little apartment. And Cheryl looked at me and she said, what are you doing? Well, I learned early in our marriage that that is a question that requires a lot more thought than I usually give to it. I thought I'd be funny. And I said, well, I'm enjoying this wonderful meal of chicken pot pies and microwave peas. Okay, we eat a lot of chicken pot pies. Still do, okay? It's convenient, all right? And she said, well, yeah, I know that's what you're doing, but you're eating your peas with your spoon, I said, so? She said, you don't eat your peas with your spoon. You eat your meal with a spoon. You eat your peas with a spoon. Don't you know anything? I said, yeah, I know how to eat. I said, my, my fork is flat. The peas roll off it. My spoon is shaped so that the peas roll into it. So I choose to use my spoon. She said, no. You eat your meal with a fork. You eat your peas with a fork. Did your mom teach you anything? And I want you to know that that was the beginning of a massive argument. You know, there's certain arguments you remember in a marriage. We'd been married two months, and that was the first blow-up. But you know what? It had been building for months. And we didn't talk about peas on a spoon or a fork. We talked about everything that we had held inside that bugged us. And it went on 20, 30 minutes. And uh, we both agreed It was very therapeutic, okay? We we needed to unload that stuff. We could not hold it in. But it all started over the insane, insignificant disagreement of whether you eat peas with a spoon or peas with a fork. I've been married 45 years, and I've learned some things. I eat my meal with a fork, but I still eat my peas with a spoon, and sometimes I'll even use my fingers, okay? I choose to do that. Now, the reason I mention this, I am amazed at the insignificant, insane things we argue over. The things that divide us. Not just in a marriage and in a friendship, but in a church. And what we need to do is we need to be gentle with one another. I want you to look at the end of verse 5. I didn't read it the end of verse 5, Paul says, the Lord is near. Now that statement is not a reference to the omnipresence of Jesus. It is a reference to his rapture. The rapture is an event that's going to take place in the future in which Jesus is going to appear in the clouds, receive all believers to himself, and I believe at that time reward them for their work. Work not done for our relationship with Jesus, but work done because of our relationship with Jesus. When you become a believer, there is a reasonable expectation on God's part that there's going to be a change. There's going to be a difference in your life. It's a reasonable expectation. Uh, But what if the rapture were to take place today and Jesus were to return? How embarrassing would it be if he found You and I arguing, separating, dividing from another believer over some insane, insignificant issue. Would that be embarrassing? Unfortunately, because we don't know when the the Lord's going to appear, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. But you know what? Jesus is still going to be gentle. And the idea is that you and I need to be as gentle with one another as we want Jesus to be with us. So what can we do to restore harmony? Well, from God's word, he says we need to rejoice. Focus on the things that that create joy, and it's the things in the Lord. We need to be gentle with one another. Okay, gentle. But then, uh, something else he says we're to do is we're to pray for and with those we disagree. Look at what he says, verse 6. He says, be anxious for nothing... But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I imagine that uh, Yodia and Syntyche spent many sleepless nights worrying about the damage that each had done to the other person and the damage that they had done to their reputation. And the more they worried about it, the angrier they became. And so what Paul says in verse 6 literally is, stop it. Just stop worrying. That's the tense there, okay? Just stop it. He says, stop worrying about the damage that each of you have done and give thanks to God that you can bring that need to him in prayer. And when we do, look at what's going to happen. Verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Uh, The word guard speaks of a Roman soldier who's guarding his post. And the tense of the verb means that it never ends. When you and I pray for and with those with whom we disagree, it's a deterrent. It's like a Roman soldier guarding nonstop, All those negative things that can come into our life that promote disharmony rather than create and restore the harmony that ought to be there. And then one more thing we can do to restore harmony, and that is we need to think the very best about another person. Look at what he says, verse 8. He says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure... Whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence in anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. This is not mental manipulation. It's not emotional gymnastics. This is you and I intentionally deciding what are we going to think about. Now, I don't know about you, and I think I know certain things about you, even though You know, we're not close friends. But this is the way our minds normally work. Our default is to always think about the negative. If we've been hurt, if we've been offended, if we've been the target of some unfair statements, uh, injustice, our default is to get angry and seek revenge. It's It's to dwell on the negative. And what we have to do is intentionally, and this is where it takes a lot of mental strength, we have to choose the very, to think about the very, very best in another person's life. And when we do, look at what it says, verse 9, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. And that refers to everything Paul has talked about before, about how you restore harmony. He says, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. When you and I choose to think the very, very best about another individual, there's going to be peace in our life. There's going to be a willingness on our part to say, ah, it doesn't matter who's at fault. Boy, we're believers in Jesus Christ. We need to live in harmony in the Lord. You know, sometimes... And I think all of us have had this experience. You can walk into a church and you instantly know there's joy, there's peace, there's harmony. I want you to know when I walk into this church, I've only been here three times, that is how I have felt. Joy, peace, harmony. But you know what? I'm a guest. I'm supposed to feel that way. I congratulate you. You're doing a wonderful job of projecting joy, peace, and harmony. Now I want you to think about yourself. In your own life, with regard to one another in this church, can you say there's joy, peace, there's harmony? I'm not going to answer that for you, but what I am going to tell you what God says. If there is a lack of harmony in any area of your life with another individual, it is your individual responsibility to deal with it. And if you lack the ability, you need the help of a third person, seek that help. And if you say, I don't have the problem, but I know of the problem, well, realize that it's everyone's problem. Harmony is everyone's responsibility. And I think what promotes it, what deters it, is when you and I embrace these wonderful attitudes of joy and gentleness and prayer. Harmony in a church is a wonderful thing. But if you've ever been in a church where it's absent, there is no more poisonous, toxic place to be than in a church like that. You don't have that here. Thank God. But it's our individual responsibility to protect it, to maintain it, and to restore it when it gets broken. Now, let's pray that God will give us wisdom in accepting that responsibility. Pray with me. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word. Thank you that it speaks to the issues of our life. Thank you for the joy, the peace, the unity, the harmony that exists here at Pinedale Bible Church. Uh, Father, we don't take it for granted We understand that it's always under attack. And so we, in obedience to your word, accept our responsibility for it. And we pray for wisdom to uh, do what needs to restore it and maintain it. Let what takes place in our life be joy, gentleness, and prayer. We pray that that would be true, not just for our sake, but for the sake of our Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.